Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. Today, we're talking to Nicole Walters. She is a former top-selling corporate executive who quit her six-figure sales job to pursue her passion, coaching fellow dreamers and entrepreneurs to own their power. She is the host of the Nicole Walters podcast. She's a highly sought motivational speaker and the author of the new book and instant New York Times bestseller, Nothing is Missing, a memoir of living boldly. Nicole is also the mother of three daughters. Welcome, Nicole. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So let's start at the beginning of your story. You grew up as the daughter of Ghanaian immigrants. Yes. And you talk in the book, in the beginning of the book, about how there was an entrepreneurial spirit that you saw among the women who were around you that just was was part of the Ghanaian culture. Can you explain that? Yes, absolutely. So in Ghana, it's a matriarchal society, you know, so instead of kings, we have queen mothers, you know, and that has trickled down from, you know, the beginning of the culture all the way till now, where mothers are really the center of the home. You know, they often are the ones who manage the money that they usually have a couple of different side hustles, you know? So even if you're working as a secretary in an office, you're probably baking bread on the side, you know how to braid hair and you cook meals for the community. So uh, that collective village mindset is kind of what I grew up with. And then, you know, because I'm an American, I monetize it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But America wasn't necessarily in the long-term plans for your family. You say as soon as they got here, they started thinking about when they get to go home. Mm -hmm, that's right. And I think that that's actually something a lot of immigrants can share in, you know, your family, even if they're here in America, and they don't have any intention of going back, they talk about how good it was in the mother country, you know, and how they miss certain meals or certain ways of being. And my parents were very much like that. They came here for a better way of life to establish, you know, their children in this space. But ultimately, they long for days to come back. And actually, my mother has retired back to Ghana. So she does live there full time now. Mm -hmm. And you talk and we've talked to a lot of people about being immigrants and parenting children and also having immigrant parents. And you talk about some of the instability in your home and how that informed you and particularly how a sort of scarcity mindset started to inform your young formative years. Can you talk a little bit about that? 
Sure. One of the things that I reference in the book is the trauma of poverty. And, you know, we're familiar with lots of different types of trauma. You know, I think there's increasing conversation about them online in a beautiful way. But poverty is something that we don't really talk about how that can inform your decisions long after you no longer live in that state. So it's the grandmother who lived through the Great Depression and still won't keep her money in the bank and hides it in a mattress. You know, to her, it makes a lot of sense, but she's taking past experiences and using that to inform her presence. And that was very much something that was passed on to me. My parents were always worried about having enough. And they're always teaching me to sort of be miserly around everything that I have now, whether it's money or joy. And you said that in the book that actually they didn't really talk about happiness, that happiness was not something you were supposed to chase or, or think about or get to have. Yeah, it wasn't a priority. You know, the priority was obviously the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Do we have shelter? Do we have food? Do we have the things that we really lacked that seem essential? And happiness just did not seem essential. I think as in I'm a much longer term immigrant family, but that idea of sacrifice and that happiness is a useless goal that, you know, achieving what a lot of people went through a lot to get us here to achieve is what's important. And that mindset makes a ton of sense for the people who have lived the trauma. Yes. But it can be hard to let go of those ideas when that scarcity disappears. Absolutely. And I think you're right. It, it's not just an immigrant mindset. If you grew up with old school Southern parents, you know, if you grew up with parents who have, even if they've had a great life and they were able to afford you a great middle class life or what have you, if they grew up without, you may still see it show up in little ways where even if happiness isn't something that we discuss, it's not a priority. And so many of us forget that it's the happiness that actually fuels us to do the things we need to do to secure the other elements of our life. It's why you find people who have, you know, access and ability and brilliance, but yet don't have anything to show for it because they don't have the joy to pursue it. So joy is now a priority in my life, in my home and what I teach my children. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think that joy for some of the people in generations before in my family, it was not accessible, but was also almost seen as like an anti-value. A luxury, an indulgence. It's for the fancy people. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That like, that I definitely have heard members of my family say like something like getting a massage, like, oh, so indulgent. You would only indulge yourself in something because you basically were like the queen of England. Yes. And when you think of things like that, the languaging of that, especially as parents, we just have to be so careful about that, you know, because if we're saying that around our children, that certain things that frankly, massages can be medically necessary in order to make sure you can function, you know, and we're here saying it's an indulgent. What does that mean when our kids, you know, need to seek out solutions for themselves. And we're telling them it's an indulgence, you know, so it really is something that I've had to attack through the years, because I don't want to pass it on, you know, it can end with there's me. another sort of follow on to growing up in a household with a scarcity mindset, right. And that is that you start having to adult at a younger age, take care of yourself and figure out what's going to happen next, because nobody's coming to figure that out for you. So you went, you tell this incredible story, you got a full scholarship to uh, Johns Hopkins, and you showed up the first day, 
And I'll let you tell our listeners what happened on that first day when your parents dropped you off. Sure. So the first day I ended up in debt, you know, right out of the gate, I was completely at loss, you know, and, you know, I went to college. I think a lot of moms can relate to this. You hear full ride or you think you kind of have the numbers figured out, but you get there that first day and you're like, oh, a thousand dollars for textbooks, you know, and these sorts of things are very real. And if you're not informed or you have parents that are not aware, you know, we cannot make a thousand dollars out of nowhere. That just does not exist. You know, we didn't have a credit card. So on my first day, I recall signing up for a credit card with a $300 limit and I needed $400 in textbooks. So I mean, here I am thinking I'm starting the path to get myself out of poverty. And I immediately, as of the first day, I'm in debt. And the mindset and what that does, you know, again, reinforces some of those scarcity things, but it also reinforces this sort of mindset of how did I not know better? Everyone around me seems informed. Am I out of place here? Do I not belong? What did I do wrong? You know, there are just lots of different traumas that can echo, you know, if you aren't well supported as you take on new things and have people around you to help affirm that, look, you know, part of it's a learning process, but part of it is like there's a, you know, a system in place that you may just may not know how to navigate. You said that in the book that your parents dropped you off and they didn't know that there was a college orientation no that parents could stay for. They just dropped you off and mm-hmm. your dad gave you a couple of 20s yep. and they left. Yep. They didn't, first they didn't love you because no. they didn't know there was a whole thing. Right. <laughs> right. First day they didn't, school, they, they just didn't, didn't know. They were like, hey, we dropped you off move your things in and here you go. And there's actually a term for it in therapy called parentification, right? Where your parents basically leave you to take care of yourself and or your other siblings and sort of you're expected to assume responsibilities of being a parent. And there is that fine dance, right? You know, where we live in a society where it's celebrated when you have kids who are independent and can take care of themselves. But on many levels, there are things that your kids should not be doing, you know, or we should be guiding them with. Um, Sort of telling on myself, you know, I have a 12-year-old now who is wildly independent just by her nature. She's been like this since she was three. And so in the morning, she gets herself up and she gets going and kind of does her little morning routine. But I found out this morning that she wasn't packing herself lunch. Now, I'd noticed for a while that it wasn't a proper lunch, you know, meaning uh, she's kind of light on the snacks or, oh, you know, I wish she would throw in a piece of lettuce in her sandwich, you know, something like that to get in the greens. But then today, you know, I said, make sure your lunch is packed. And I turned around and she was done too quickly. You know, that mom feeling when we're like, I know you didn't, you're just too fast. (laughs) Right. And you did not wash your hands in that bathroom. Brushing your teeth takes longer than that. (laughs) You didn't brush your teeth. You did not wash your hands. Exactly. She was done too quickly. And so I said, hey, where's your lunch? And so she starts digging through her bag and I'm like, where is it? And then finally she, I'm like, you didn't pack a sandwich, did you? And she was like, no. And I said, tell me more about this, you know? And It was in that moment where I learned that parental pivot, right? My parents would have yelled at me or um, I would have been, quote unquote, in trouble. But when I discovered that she hadn't done it, I just said, this is an education point. It is an opportunity to have a conversation around what are her motives or what are her challenges. And then we can figure out how to solve it. And each of those moments, even though for her, it was kind of, oh my gosh, I'm, you know, I don't feel good about not doing what I was supposed to do. It was an opportunity to figure out like, well, what's going on with our morning schedule? Or do you not like our lunch options at home? Or is there some place that I'm able to help? you. And so she learned that she has one trust in making mistakes and support in doing the things she needs to do. And it also taught me as a mom, I think I need to pay a little bit more of a closer eye in this morning routine to make sure she's hitting all of her marks. So, you know, it's one of those things where you're finding that balance between 
yeah, you got to go at it yourself because you got to learn how, but where can I step in to help support you as you're figuring it all out? My parents just didn't have that. We're talking to Nicole Walters. She is the author of the new bestseller, Nothing is Missing, a memoir of living boldly. And we'll be right back. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different and fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Nicole, can we talk about your title? Nothing is missing because it, it actually encompasses a lot. So tell us about why you chose that title. 
Sure. So, you know, obviously anyone who's ever written a book knows that you go through lots of iterations, right? Lots of different versions. Like, what am I going to call this thing? What's it about? And, you know, I settled on Nothing is Missing because once the book was complete, I realized that, you know, the languaging people were using as they were reading it, my editors, oh, it's so honest. It's so vulnerable. It's so authentic. And I was feeling a little bit of guilt around that phrasing because, you know, as honest and as genuine and authentic as any of us can be on the internet, nothing is all of us, right? You know, it's nothing is every moment we're entitled to privacy. We have things we're still working through. But I realized that, and one of my friends put this into context perfectly, that that phrasing of this is so authentic and honest and vulnerable means it is for me. Right. They're like when that person says that, they're like, this is authentic to me. This is vulnerable to me. This is honest for me based on where I am right now. You know, you've shared things that I may not be comfortable sharing. And that has given me, you know, the ability to grow from what you shared. And I realized that that's the value of the nothing is missing phrasing. We live in a world where we're constantly told what we lack. You aren't pretty enough. Your body's not this enough. You know, you're not smart enough. You don't have enough money. There's just always something that we lack. And being able to share authentically and vulnerably that, look, I have lacked everywhere and I'm still lacking today, you know, but within that, nothing is really missing. You know, nothing's wrong with me. I'm learning and so are you. And we're entitled to use what we have to get where we want to be and give ourselves grace in the process rather than looking at it as a deficiency. So I hope it's a mantra people pick up. And when they run into tough spots and they run into negativity, they're able to say to themselves, look, no matter what I'm facing, nothing is missing. Yeah, it ties in, I feel like the story about going to Johns Hopkins and needing money for books and that it's such a resonant story. And when we hear people's stories, which we do all the time on the podcast, it's such a teaching moment for looking at spaces. And we've talked to parents of differently abled kids. And it's like, sure, the playground is open. But if my kid can't access the equipment, then the fact that they're allowed to come here, or that this space is for everybody, it doesn't work. We are saying to that child, like something's missing, you can't function in this space. And I think one of the values of memoir is opening all of us up to stories that say like, we may think that this is an inclusive and welcoming space, but if people can't function fundamentally in these spaces, then we're telling them you're missing something that you need to belong in this space. And I find that very evocative and very educational at a very fundamental level that says like, what does it really mean for people who want to create community to create spaces where you're not saying to people, I'm saying you belong here, but I'm signaling to you on a much more important level that you don't belong here. And your ability to overcome that is admirable. But like, I hope that the lesson for people is also that people should not have to overcome things to be in these spaces, you know? For sure. 
And there's so much we've already overcome just to get to that space, you know, just to get to that space. I mean, using, you know, the differently abled, you know, child, you know, what it takes to get to, I mean, any mom knows this, what it takes to get your kids out the door. Holy cannoli. I mean, we're talking snacks. We're talking diaper bags. We're talking tantrums. We're talking fighting in the car seat to only get to that place to find that they still don't have access, you know, is so difficult and it hits so hard at the core. And I think one of the things that's beautiful, like you said about memoirs is that I'm also providing through a story of someone who may not look like you or may not have grown up like you or may have faced different challenges, but we're still seeing ourselves in their story. And we're realizing one, we are so similar, even though people are trying to point out the lack and the differences between the two of us. And so that means that our fight has commonalities. You know, if I was told that I'm not thin enough or pretty enough, you know, and you were told that, but we have totally different bodies, you know, then what does that mean about the messaging versus what the perfect body is? You know, so I really hope that also within the Nothing is Missing uh, book and mantra that we start realizing, listen, like a lot of this stuff is a bunch of mumbo jumbo to sell us things. Let's tr- join together to make sure we have a space where we all feel comfortable, you know, and, and I think you're so right about that. It's a beautiful extension of the phrasing. How does believing that nothing is missing, which is something you came to understand for yourself, how did that change how you approached hard times in your life? Sure. So the belief part is constant. You know what I mean? It is constant work. I think that one of the things that is really important to call out, especially as a memoirist and a writer, is that I am still working on myself, you know, and the idea that you reach a point where you're just like, oh, I get it. Nothing's missing. I can attack the world. You know, it's just not true. You know what I mean? Like, I, all done. All done. All done. You know, like, <laughs> look at this morning. You know, I here I am thinking, oh, man, mothering is finally good. My kid's killing sixth grade. She's crushing it. And then I'm finding out her lunch is missing. <laughs> you know what I mean? So things are still missing. And so I think what's beautiful is, again, it has allowed me to focus on the fact that look, you know, you're not going to have it perfect, but nothing is missing in terms of inherently I have the ability. I just need to not allow myself to get into the mindset that I'm stuck or without options because even to not do something is still an option. So nothing is missing in this particular season for me has really been about leveraging and utilizing my power of no, you know, which is just like, no, I'm not going to do this. Like, I don't even know what I want to do. Like I came back from my book tour and I was like, I'm exhausted and I want to quit everything. I'm never writing a book again again. And I want to talk to no people, you know, (laughs) like this is what I want to do. And I realized that now is not the time to make big decisions, Nicole, you are tired. So minimize your schedule and say no to what you don't have to, you know, and that is, it evolves, but it really is just such powerful phrasing. I encourage everyone to really, you know, constantly leverage and say, look, if nothing is missing, what do I have? And what are my options in front of me? That it starts the question to me at a very different point. It reminds me, we've talked to Dr. Becky, who talks about good inside with children. And if you know your child is good inside, you start a question at a different place. Whereas if you- Very good, yes. If you think your child is bad or wrong or difficult- or I'm bad or wrong. We're both good inside. So now let's start the question there. And I feel like nothing is missing is a similar gift of like, mm-hmm. it doesn't start with like, I'm too fat for anyone to love me. Like we're not actually, st- we're taking that off the table. It's not even a conversation. That's right. It's not available to me anymore. And similarly, like, I'm not a good mom. Like, I don't have what it takes to raise these kids. I have a kid who has needs I can't meet. 
not a thing. Like not a thing. It's I love that it. I feel like you hear a lot of parenting advice, but these kind of crystallized versions of like, let's start the question from a completely different place. Mm-hmm. Very, very transformative, I think. And it'd be shocking to see what that does for your ability to come up with solutions. You know, instead of it's that whole age old, instead of me saying it won't work out, what if it does work out? You know, and truly, instead of me saying, what do I lack? I am stuck, which is such a default thing, I think, for so many of us, partly because it's affirmed by marketing. It's affirmed by society. You know, you turn on the TV and it's like, Oh, you, I didn't even know what pores were until I saw a Clearasil commercial. You know what I mean? Like, like, you know what I mean? I didn't even know I had them or that they were big or that they were dirty or anything like that, you know? And so it's so interesting because there's so much we aren't even questioning about ourselves until it is introduced to us. So if we start saying, look, I'm allowed to ask a question back, which is, okay, well, what if the thing you're telling me isn't an issue or I cannot afford access or utilize the thing you're offering me? then what do I have to do? And you'd be surprised the solutions you come up with, you know, and those solutions are incredibly effective and they absolutely work and, and they're readily available to you. You have a lot of what you need inside you already. Fantastic. We are talking to Nicole Walters. She is the author of Nothing is Missing, a memoir of living boldly. And we'll be right back. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Nicole, you've gone through some tough times, and I'm going to read a quote from your book. Sometimes you have to do something hard, and you have to choose the particular brand of hard that it's going to be. You can also make choices so you don't ever have to do that particular hard again. Loved that, obviously. (laughs) Wrote it down for later. Tell us how how you've gone through hard times in your life making that decision. So so I'm going to be completely transparent here and say, 
it took a while for me to own that. That is like therapy. Like I have paid the down payment for y'all to enjoy the benefit yeah, of that, yeah, yeah. that because that therapy, whoo, the cost of it, you know, for the longest time I would absorb sort of a victim mindset. Like, why is this thing happening to me? Or, you know, I didn't know enough to make the right choice, you know, and it's really easy to get caught up in the, the hows, the what's, the resources, the lack of what was necessary to choose the thing to quote unquote avoid the hard. But once I started realizing you know, especially through therapy, that life is just difficult. It's not bad, but it's difficult, you know, and difficult isn't a permanent state, you know, but if you're taking on new things, it's difficult. When you're younger, putting on your shoes correctly on the right foot is difficult. That is a challenge that once mastered, you hopefully you will not encounter it again. We hope, right? <laughs> you know, sometimes if you're a mom, it happens, you know? yes. but you find yourself doing it again, right? You find yourself doing it again. But the truth is, you know, life is difficult. And once I started looking at it from that standpoint, I said, well, okay, if life is going to be difficult and there will be times, you know, like encountering uh, my 17 year old dealing with cancer, you know, or times where I'm trying to navigate, you know, whether I'm going to get a divorce or not, you know, everything is hard. You know, it's just hard. And it's about choosing the right hard that is meaningfully moving forward. So, you know, I did not want to get divorced. You know, that wasn't something I desired. And I think that's something a lot of women who have had breakups or divorces can relate to because you get married with the intent to stay married, you know, but there comes a point, I think, in any major change or pivot, whether it's your career or parenting or a marriage where you say to yourself, is the work that I'm doing and the time and energy I'm spending moving me forward meaningfully? And I personally felt that if I remained where I was, that while I could still move forward, I wasn't sure if everything I was doing every day had a maximum forward moving intent where I was going in the right direction versus me taking the risk of a different type of hard, which would be being single, picking it all up again, learning to, you know, pack up and rebuild somewhere else and starting over all absolutely terrifying and unpleasant, you know, thought processes, but could it move me forward meaningfully? And they were both hard. Staying would have been hard. Leaving would be hard. But I had to choose the right hard for me. And that is the thing that I look to sort of leverage in that situation, you know, is just letting people know, gosh, it is hard to be a stay at home mom. And it is hard to leave your baby every day. And we've got to stop getting into the place where people want to say one is better than the other and recognize that it's just about trying to choose the right hard with what you know in the season that you are in. And it seems to me that the nothing is missing mindset is very challenged by those times, right? That like, I feel like, well, I've got, I'm going to be a great mom. And then suddenly something's wrong with one of my kids. There's a diagnosis. There's really tough problems that I don't know how to solve. And it's like, well, the me that thought this was going to be a straight line, nothing was missing. But now suddenly there's a bend in the road and I gone to zero on that nothing. Now everything's missing. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now whoa. everything's missing. Yep. I was going to do this fine when I thought it was a cakewalk, but now it's a marathon and I'm not ready for that. I didn't sign up for that. So how do you find that nothing is missing mindset in times that are so much more challenging than something you maybe thought you were, all right, I have this all set and locked down, but now suddenly I'm playing at a completely different level and I don't feel ready. And it's great that you called that out because so much of my book is sort of that pattern, if you will, where it's like, 
okay, I've up leveled. Great. I'm in this place. Oh, wait, things aren't quite what they're supposed to be. I need to make a decision. Great. I did the hard work of making a decision. Dang it. There's stuff I didn't expect. This is so much harder than I thought, you know, like, and we, we see that over and over and over again. And so you're right. You know, finding that nothing is missing, just being again, really forthright. First, I cry about it. <laughs> First, I'm like, this is trash. I don't want to be doing this. This is awful, you know? And then I put on my big girl undies and I tackle it. You know what I mean? And I think that that is the thing that I really hope is threaded through the book and captured is the grace part of it. So I think that nothing is missing is something we all ultimately come through to at some point because we all have survived our worst days. If you're standing right now, you have, which means you came to a point where you realized nothing was missing. And you were like, I got to make it work with what I got. Every single one of us has done that. And so since we all had that ability and it did not go away, what that also means is that somewhere in that you said, okay, well, if I have to figure this out, <laughs> what am I going to do with what I got? And I'm just going to have my fit. But where it feels badly is that we don't give ourselves grace. A lot of times we beat ourselves up during that process. So grace is a recurring theme through my book where I talk about being grace-filled and granting yourself grace. And that has been the big change, the big growth moment for me is, okay, Nicole, you got a divorce. You feel like garbage. You want to beat yourself up because you changed your whole kid's life, you know, because you wanted to be your best self for them as well. This is awful, but you know what? You did the best you could with what you had. You're doing so much better now. You are trying your best every single day and you are only human. Like grant yourself some grace. Nothing is missing. Give yourself some grace, you know, and that's the big thing that reminds me to get back there. Part of that grace comes from your Christian faith, which is you say in the book hilariously that the Christian faith, it's part of your book because it's part of you, but the book isn't intended to be sneaky Jesus. You're like, this book won't be sneaky Jesus, y'all. <laughs> yeah, it's not at all. Yeah, I'm not trying to worm my way in there. I'm just saying like, I speak Japanese, so I better call it out that this may not make sense to you, you know? So, yeah. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So on my podcast, I took it in a different direction because when I started my podcast, it was meant to be a business podcast, interviews, facts, tips, things like that. And what happened was I realized I really wanted a space to have a lot of the questions and conversations that I have in Nothing Is Missing. So three years ago, I started that journey. I said, look, you tune in for the business stuff everywhere else. Let's talk about what you aren't seeing behind the scenes. And so that's what my podcast is. It's these quick, bite-sized, 20-minute, in-the-car conversations where I'm like, hey, girl, let me tell you how the kid did this, this, and this. And boy, I'm a mess, but it's okay because I'm figuring it out, and I imagine you are too. Try this thing, and if you want to send me a DM on what you tried, great. Glad we had this chat. Have a nice day. You know, it's like a girlfriend check-in and it's been great. We do really well and we have a great community and I'm super grateful for it because, you know, we're doing our best every day to, to be as effective as we can while holding space for grace. So fantastic. I wish I had this book 10 years ago, but I'm glad to have it now. I feel like this is going to become such a mantra for me in terms of like, you know, it is a garbage fire every day, but it's like, okay, it's I have this. It's my starting point is not how did I cause this? Why am I so dumb that I am the problem? It's like, nope, nothing is missing. What's next? Such a good point of view. Tell our audience where they can find more of your wonderful self. 
Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, I'm all around the internet as Nicole Walters. And if you want to grab the book, it is available everywhere books are sold. And you can tune in on the Nicole Walters podcast. I'd love to hang out with you. We'll put the links to the podcast, the book and all your socials in the show notes. Nicole, thanks so much for talking to us today. Oh, this was a joy. Thanks for having me. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks.